behind me, I heard a buzzing sound like a 200-pound hummingbird and... Hummingbird? Now that's a Pokemon. I wasn't angry. Oh, yes I was. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How is everybody on this fine, fine Thursday afternoon? I was really struggling to make sure, just to sort of mentally verify, it is Thursday, right? Let's see, Stationary Fork, hello, and congrats to you, by the way. Uh, I'm meeting with my publisher tomorrow. I wrote a book, and the edits are done, and now we're going to print. I'm so excited. Stationary Fork, I'd be very curious to hear about this book of yours. Tell me tell me about it over on Discord. I would love to hear about it. If you're looking for somebody to, to read it out loud, I'm actually, I want to I expand a little bit. I want to I wanna try some new things, so maybe we'll chat about it. Uh, who is it? Spider author, I want to say. Um, having finished something fairly recently. Uh, let's, just, let's just get a moment here. Just a quick moment. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Congratulations, Congratulations. to our authors! I really am appreciative that, uh, you know, y'all who are interested in not just not just listening to stories, but also creating them. You know, I've really appreciated y'all being in here and, and uh, all the feedback that y'all have given. Thank you a ton. It seems weirdly quiet, doesn't it? Something feels weirdly quiet. No doubt Sam's voice will lull me to sleep, says Mighty Monkey. I mean, that's the hope, but of course, you know, if you if we get into this uh, spooky territory... Uh, Hogwarts Hippie says, hey Sam, how are you? I am doing well, Hogwarts Hippie. Um, it's been a pretty good week. You know, I've mentioned a couple of times in the past, like, the last few months have really been tough on the mental health side. It's something that I'm kind of able to turn off for the streams. Um, although, being an extrovert, like, streams are definitely something that actually do give me energy. But all said, like, the last few months have been just very low energy for me. Lots of lethargy and not my strongest mental months. But uh, this last week has been pretty good. Uh, external factors um, are starting to look a little bit better. Some some other stuff going on in life that, uh, you know, everyone's got. Yeah, but some of those things are starting to look a little bit better. And overall, I think this last week has been pretty decent. It helped that uh, Mama took a mental health day and the two of us went up to a little spot near uh, Yosemite. Got a chance to relax for a couple of days. The, the streaming definitely helps. It's part of the reason I'm really thankful for this and for all of y'all for hanging out here with me. If we want to bring in more people, you can use this link. I, I don't know if I've made it like super clear, but I've kind of moved everything into that link tree. Essentially, I plan on that being like the link moving forward. The link forever. Forever. Um, Wyo Jack says, what kind of podcast? I listen to a lot myself. Um, I listen a lot to the My Brother, My Brother and Me podcast when I actually have a chance to focus on them. Uh, stuff like, uh, there's one called The Red Web. Kind of a, a true crime slash mystery podcast that if you're listening, Red Web, which you, you are absolutely not, Fredo, Trevor, somebody needs to start a task force podcast so that somebody can actually follow up on these things. This is me. I've thrown down the glove with Binging with Babish. Andrew, you and I, the beef is still on, but I guess I'm gonna throw it on the glove with, <laughs> with the Red Web podcast. Trevor and Fredo, I love y'all, you're great, but somebody needs to make these phone calls. Uh, the dream study, you got a phone number, you gotta call those phone numbers. We need a task force podcast to follow up on all these things. Anyway, this is my, this is my beef with the Red Web. It's very sort of like 
um, urban mystery kind of focused. It's stuff like uh, Zakata 3301 and Lake City Quiet Pills. And um, if any of these names sound interesting to you, uh, go ahead and check out the Red Web podcast. They did one on the Mothman. Yeah, Tuna. Yes, and that one I have not heard yet. Um, beyond that, uh, I've really enjoyed the Script Notes podcast in the past, although I have not been up on that one fairly recently. I'm also curious what, what all the rest of y'all listen to. Uh, Luke Stoltzfus says, anyone here into binge mode? Luke says it's good fun. They did deep dives into the lore slash stories of Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Star Wars, and Marvel. Um, oh, speaking of deep dives, uh, I really enjoy one called Hardcore History, whereas my brother, my brother and me is very much on one side of the spectrum. It's very much like low preparation, high, high, uh, comedy and, uh, high improvisation. Hardcore history is like he'll take four hours and do an incredibly in-depth observation of some part of history. Uh, one of my favorites is the story of the German city of Munster um, that I actually have uh, written a TV pilot for. I've got plans for. I mean, I've I've got a whole season plotted out, a, a, a miniseries to be specific. The crazy, crazy shenanigans that went down there, I would say, listening to the Hardcore History episode of it will give you a pretty good idea why that would make a fantastic miniseries. Lisa says, if you wrote it, Sam, I would definitely watch. Well, I've got the pilot written. The rest of the season is is mapped out. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about it at some point. Now, everyone, everyone, I think it's time that we move into something a little bit different. Let's slip into something a little bit more memorable. <laughs> that sounded a lot more intense than it was intending to. Let's talk review. Chapter 9. I'm offered a quest. So, um, we have been, we have been, you know, following Percy as he goes from a confused middle schooler to suddenly a very powerful middle schooler, um, and now to, once again, kind of a confused middle schooler. He is here, of course, at Camp Half-Blood. Um, but last week we, we really learned, you know, the, 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 there had been a big switch up. Oof. Oof. I really gotta do my, my, my exercise, don't I? There we go. That should be a little bit better, but yeah, I gotta work on my my vocal dexterity, otherwise I'm going to be tripping all over my words. Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> Chapter 9, I'm offered a quest. We've got this turn, right? This flip. Uh... Percy has been slowly feeling more and more at home here in Camp Half-Blood. Now, pfft, well, he's been claimed by Poseidon. And we know this is not exclusively good news, right? He knows who his father is now. Fantastic. But he also knows, well, dad's not just trying to reconnect here. He needs something done. And it's not something small either. It's something a pretty big. It is a quest, essentially, um, in the most classical sense of the term. Uh, it is a quest that Percy must undergo, and we learn about it sort of over the course of these chapters. Percy has to go to Hades, it, uh, the the underworld, the only place that Chiron can imagine that the, the, the stolen lightning bolt could possibly be. It must be here, right? It must be in the underworld. And so, Percy needs to go get it. Otherwise, uh, Zeus is going to fight against Poseidon, and there, because because you know Zeus wants his bolt back, and Poseidon's all offended that he's been accused, and Hades just up underneath, just just uh, you know uh, Jabba the Hutt laughing. 
<laughs> just really ecstatic that uh, his his brothers, who have been breaking their pact not to have any other children left and right, it's finally their time to uh, to suffer a bit. Seems to make sense. He gets part of this from the Oracle. He gets just little hints. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read off. Uh, unfortunately, I have no expectation that uh, uh, Luke could possibly have it all queued up for me again, even though I, I was editing back on that uh, video. And I was just really impressed that the moment I needed the quote from the Oracle, Luke was like, boom, it's right here. It's in chat. Um, I appreciate you, Luke. Um, I am the spirit of Delphi, uh, speaker of the prophecies of Phoebus Apollo, slayer of the mighty Python, approach seeker and ask. Bleh, bleh, bleh. That, is, that, is, that is sort of the introduction. And then, of course, we have got um, spoken from the mouths of Gabe's. Um, I'm so sorry. Here we go. Uh, by the way, I don't know if I've been doing this very much uh, except on vintage sidecar. This means, while this is up in the air, this, is mean, this means I'm reading a quote to you. You shall go west and face the god who has turned. You shall find what was stolen and see it safely returned. You shall be betrayed by one who calls you a friend, and you shall fail to save what matters most in the end." Now, that is not a great sort of atlas to follow on your quest, is it? It's essentially saying, yeah, okay, so take a left up at the Arby's, and then once you get sort of to the cliff, you're just gonna go ahead and plummet right off. So we've got this not very encouraging oracle, and uh, as they discuss it, Chiron sort of elaborates more and more why this is such a big deal, who's involved, why people are so angry about this, and why we have 10 days to fix it. And by we, I mean you, Percy. This is what this is what Percy has been called to do, and so they get packing. Uh, in chapter 10, they depart. They have left the camp. We have spent such little time here, and yet we're out and about already. Percy has decided to leave the Minotaur horn in the cabin, um, and basically they don't have much to take with them. Annabeth is bringing her magic Yankees cap, the one that she can put on and become invisible. Grover didn't really bring much, just a backpack full of scrap metal and apples to snack on, uh, and then a little, uh, some reed pipes uh, to play, uh, specifically Mozart's uh, Piano Concerto Number no. 12 and Hilary Duff's So Yesterday, which I just realized I need to listen to So Yesterday, don't I, so that I can whistle that tune whenever Percy, whenever um, uh, Grover's playing. Mm. Oh boy, the things I do for my art, for my art. <laughs> they are not able to leave without uh, a quick little update, however. Uh, Luke sends them along with something additional, as does Chiron. Uh, Luke begins by handing over to uh, Percy a pair of shoes. Uh, these are flying sneakers. Now, he gives them to Percy, but Percy has to hand them off to Grover because, as we've expressed so far, the sky is kind of Zeus's whole thing, and it would be unwise for Percy to sort of head up there. At the same time, this is not the only gift that gets sent along with these uh, intrepid adventurers. Um, as Percy and Grover and Annabeth are on their way out, Chiron hands over the ballpoint pen. Huh? Ah, yes. The one from Percy's uh, sort of fuzzy memories of defeating Mrs. Dodds back uh, back on their field trip from school. This is not just a ballpoint pen. This is Anaclusmos, also known in English as Riptide. Uh, this is the sword of a champion here, and it is something that 
basically, Poseidon meant for one of his children to have, and it looks like it is time for Chiron to hand it over. Um, this is part of uh, part of a, uh, a a prophecy, it would seem, for uh, for Chiron to hand this thing over. Let's see. What else do we have here? I think that's most of it. Um, that's most of it as they're heading out of the camp. Of course, they leave. They get on a bus. And it's, you know, happy sailing all the way to the West Coast. Just kidding. Um, not only do they encounter Mrs. Dodds again. Uh, Mrs. Dodds, the kindly one. But her sister. Oh, and also another sister at the same time. So there are three of these kindly ones here on a bus. They're all trapped. They head into a tunnel, and that's when it kicks off. Um, there is a fight. There's a battle here. Um, the, uh, the with with these whispers ringing in his mind from the oracle. Um, these and and then you know of course the these creatures, the kindly ones that that suddenly emerge from these images of these old ladies. Well, they're they're screaming and shouting about you know where is he. Zeus will destroy you. Hades will have your soul. All that sort of thing. Well, of course, Zeus will destroy you. Yeah. You know how it is. That is where we're at. Uh, now, Percy is able to slash a few of them, uh, and they run off into the woods, leaving the burning bus behind. And that is where we're at. Everyone, thank you very, very much for being here. Uh, S. Carl Lovett says, I love the Goblin March. I'm glad you do. We've, we've had a, a couple of different Goblin songs now at this point on Tuesdays, which I will remind you all are, I would say, as much fun as this. And on some days, more fun because I get to sing a lot of songs over there. We're reading The Hobbit on Tuesdays, and I would absolutely encourage you to go check those out. If you want to find the back episodes, you can find them at that link right there. That is a link directly to the YouTube playlist. I uh, read them on stream and I upload them just like we do here. Um, the Goblin songs are my jam, says Stationary Fork. I'm glad you like them. Um, yeah, I'm also looking forward to, like, I want to I wanna sing for a couple of more groups. I want to sing for some different types. Uh, I kind of, I, I wish I had another stab at uh, some elf songs and I'm sure I'll get another stab at some dwarf songs. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, everyone? Everyone? Except for JCA, because you're going to head out, but it's been fantastic. I really appreciate you stopping in to say hi. Appreciate it a ton. Everyone, I believe it's time that we get started, don't you? Uh, let's do this thingy. Percy Jackson and the Olympians. The Lightning Thief. Chapter 11. We visit the Garden Gnome Emporium. In a way, it's nice to know there are Greek gods out there because you have somebody to blame when things go wrong. For instance, when you're walking away from a bus that's just been attacked by monster hags and blown up by lightning and it's raining on top of everything else, most people might think it's just really bad luck. When you're a half-blood, you understand that some divine force really is trying to mess up your day. So there we were, Annabeth and Grover and I, walking through the woods along the New Jersey Riverbank, the glow of New York City making the sky yellow behind us and the smell of the Hudson reeking in our noses. Grover was shivering and braying, his big goat eyes and turned slit pupils full of terror. Oh, three kindly ones, all three at once. I was pretty much in shock myself. The explosion of the bus window still rang in my ears, but Annabeth kept pulling us along, saying, 
Come on. The further away we get, the better. All of our money was back there, I reminded her. Our food and clothes, everything. Well, maybe if you hadn't decided to jump into the fight, what did you want me to do? Did you let you get killed? You don't need to protect me, Percy. I would have been fine. Sliced like sandwich bread, Grover put in. But fine. Shut up, goat boy, said Annabeth. Grover brayed mournfully. Tin cans. A perfectly good bag of tin cans. We sloshed across mushy ground through nasty, twisted trees that smelled like sour laundry. After a few minutes, Annabeth fell back in line next to me. Look, I... Her voice faltered. I appreciate you coming back for us, okay? That was really brave. Yeah, we're a team, right? She was silent for a few more steps. It's just that if you had died, aside from the fact that it would really suck for you, it would mean the quest was over. This may be my only chance to see the real world. The thunderstorm had finally let up. The city glow faded behind us, leaving us in almost total darkness. I couldn't see anything except a glint of Annabeth's blonde hair. You haven't left Camp Half-Blood since you were seven, I asked her. No, only short field trips. My dad, the history professor, yeah, it didn't work out for me living at home. I mean, Camp Half-Blood is my home. She was rushing her words out now as if afraid somebody might try to stop her. At camp, you train and train and it's cool and everything, but the real world is where the monsters are. That's where you learn if you're any good or not. If I didn't know any better, I could have sworn I heard doubt in her voice. Well, you're pretty good with that knife, I said. You think so? I mean, anybody who can piggyback a fury is okay by me. I couldn't really see, but she might have smiled. You know, she said, Maybe I should tell you something funny back on the bus. Whatever she was about to say was interrupted by a shrill, <coughs> like the sound of an owl being tortured. Hey, my reed pipes still work, Grover cried. If I could just remember a find path song, we could get out of these woods. He puffed out a few notes on the reed pipes, but the tune still sounded suspiciously like Hilary Duff. Instead of finding a path, I immediately slammed into a tree and got a nice-sized knot on my head. Added a list of superpowers I did not have. Infrared vision. After tripping and cursing and generally feeling miserable for another mile or so, I started to see light up ahead. The colors of a neon sign. I could smell food. Fried, greasy, excellent food. I realized I hadn't eaten anything unhealthy since I'd arrived at Camp Half-Blood where we lived on grapes, bread, cheese, and extra lean-cut, nymph-prepared barbecue. This boy needed a double cheeseburger. We kept walking until I saw a deserted two-lane road through the trees. On the other side was a closed-down gas station, a tattered billboard for a 1990s movie, and one open business, 
which was the source of the neon light and the good smell. It wasn't a fast food restaurant like I'd hoped. It was one of those weird roadside curio shops that sell lawn flamingos and wooden Indians and cement grizzly bears and stuff like that. The main building was a low, long warehouse surrounded by acres of statuary. The neon sign above the gate was impossible for me to read because if there's anything worse for my dyslexia than regular English, it's red cursive neon English. To me, it looked like Atnumeskderon Gomen Meproyum? Hey, what the heck does that say? I said. I don't know, Annabeth said. She loved reading so much I'd forgotten she was dyslexic too. Grover translated. Auntie M's Garden Gnome Emporium. Flanking the entrance, as advertised, were two cement garden gnomes. Ugly, bearded little runts, smiling and waving as though they were about to get their picture taken. I crossed the street, following the smell of the hamburgers. Hey, Grover warned. The lights are on inside, Annabeth said. Maybe it's open. Snack bar. I said wistfully. Snack bar, she agreed. Are you too crazy? Grover said. This place is weird. We ignored him. The front lot was a forest of statues. Cement animals, cement children, even a cement satyr playing the pipes, which gave Grover the creeps. <laughs> he bleated. It looks like my Uncle Ferdinand. We stopped at the warehouse door. Don't knock... Grover pleaded. I smell monsters. Eh, your nose is clogged up from the Furies, Annabeth told him. All I smell is burgers. Aren't you hungry? Meat, he said scornfully. I'm a vegetarian. Well, you eat cheese enchiladas and aluminum cans, I reminded him. Those are vegetables. Come on, let's leave. These statues are... They're, they're looking at me. Then the door creaked open and standing in front of us was a tall Middle Eastern woman. At least I assumed she was Middle Eastern, because she wore a long black gown that covered everything but her hands, and her head was completely veiled. Her eyes glinted behind a curtain of black gauze, but that was all I could make out. Her coffee-colored hands looked old, but well-manicured and elegant, so I imagined she was a grandmother who had once been a beautiful lady. Her accent sounded vaguely Middle Eastern, too. She said, Children, it is too late to be out all alone. Where are your parents? They're, um, Annabeth started to say, We're orphans, I said. Orphans, the woman said. The word sounded alien in her mouth. But my dears, surely not. We got separated from our caravan, I said. Our circus caravan. The ringmaster told us to meet him at the gas station if we got lost, but he may have forgotten. Or maybe he meant a different gas station. Anyway, we're lost. Is that food I smell? Oh, my dears. My dears, you must come in. Poor children, I am Auntie M. Go straight to the back of the warehouse, please. There is a dining area. We thanked her and went inside. Annabeth muttered to me, Circus? Caravan? 
Always have a strategy, right? Your head is full of kelp. The warehouse was filled with more statues. People in all different poses, wearing all different outfits with different expressions on their faces. I was thinking you'd have to have a pretty huge garden to fit even one of these statues, because they were all life-sized. But mostly I was thinking about food. Go ahead. Call me an idiot for walking into a strange lady's shop just like that because I was hungry, but I do impulsive stuff sometimes. Plus, you've never smelled Auntie M's burgers. The aroma was like laughing gas in the dentist's chair. It made everything else go away. I barely noticed Grover's nervous whimpers or the statue's eyes that seemed to follow me or the fact that Auntie M had locked the door behind us. All I cared about was finding the dining area, and sure enough, there it was at the back of the warehouse. A fast food counter with a grill, a soda fountain, a pretzel heater, and a nacho cheese dispenser. Everything you could want, plus a few steel picnic tables out front. Please, sit down, Auntie M said. Awesome, I said. Um, Grover said reluctantly. We don't have any money, ma'am. Before I could jab him in the ribs, Auntie M said, No, no, children, no money. This is a special case, yes? It is my treat for such nice orphans. Thank you, ma'am, Annabeth said. Auntie M stiffened, as if Annabeth had done something wrong, but the old woman just relaxed quickly, so I figured it must have been my imagination. Quite all right, Annabeth, she said. You have got such beautiful gray eyes, child. Only later did I wonder how she knew Annabeth's name, even though we had never introduced ourselves. Our hostess disappeared behind the snack counter and started cooking. Before we knew it, she'd brought us plastic trays heaped with double cheeseburgers, vanilla shakes, and XXL servings of french fries. I was halfway through my burger before I remembered to breathe. Annabeth slurped her shake. Grover picked at the fries and eyed the tray's wax paper liners if he might go for that, but he still looked too nervous to eat. Um, what, what is that hissing noise? He asked. I listened, but I didn't hear anything. Annabeth shook her head. Hissing? Auntie M asked. Perhaps you hear the deep fryer oil. You have keen ears, Grover. I take vitamins for my ears. That's admirable, she said. But please relax. Auntie M ate nothing. She hadn't taken off her headdress, even to cook, and now she sat forward and interlaced her fingers and watched us eat. It was a little unsettling, having someone stare at me when I couldn't see her face, but I was feeling satisfied after the burger and a little sleepy, and I figured the least I could do was try to make small talk with our hostess. So, you sell gnomes? I said, trying to sound interested. Oh, yes. Auntie M said. And animals, and people. Anything for the garden. Custom orders. 
Statuary is very popular, you know. Get a lot of business on this road? Not so much, no. Since the highway was built, most cars, they don't go this way now. I must cherish every customer I get. My neck tingled, as if somebody else was looking at me. I turned, but it was just a statue of a young girl holding an Easter basket. The detail was incredible, much better than you see in most garden statues. But something was wrong with her face. It looked as though she were startled or even terrified. Uh, Auntie M said sadly. You notice some of my creations do not turn out well. They are marred. They do not sell. The face is the hardest to get right. Always the face. You make these statues yourself? I asked. Oh, yes. Once upon a time, I had two sisters to keep me in the business, but they have passed on, and Auntie M is alone. I have... Only my statues. This is why I make them, you see. They are my company. The sadness in her voice sounded so deep and real, I couldn't help feeling sorry for her. Annabeth had stopped eating. She sat forward and said, Two sisters? It's a terrible story. Auntie M said. Not one for children, really, you see. Annabeth, a bad woman was jealous of me long ago, when I was a child. I had a, a boyfriend, you know, and this, this bad woman was determined to break us apart. She caused a terrible accident. My sisters stayed by me. They shared my bad fortune as long as they could, but... Eventually, they passed on. They faded away. I alone have survived. But at the price. Such a price. I wasn't sure what she meant, but I felt bad for her. My eyelids kept getting heavier, my full stomach making me sleepy. Poor old lady. Who would want to hurt someone so nice? Percy? Annabeth was shaking me to get my attention. Maybe we should go. I mean, the ringmaster will be waiting. She sounded tense. I wasn't sure why. Grover was eating the wax paper off the tray now, but if Auntie M found that strange, she didn't say anything. You have such... Beautiful gray eyes, Auntie M told Annabeth again. Ah, yes, it has been a long time since I have seen gray eyes like those. She reached out as if to stroke Annabeth's cheek, but Annabeth stood abruptly. We really should go. Yes, Grover swallowed the wax paper and stood up. The ringmaster is waiting. All right. 
I didn't want to leave. I felt full and content. Auntie M was so nice. I wanted to stay with her for a while. Please, dears, Auntie M pleaded. I so rarely get to be with children, but before you go, won't you at least sit for a pose? A pose? Annabeth asked warily. A photograph. I will use it to model a new statue set. Children are so popular, you see. Everyone loves children. Annabeth shifted her weight from foot to foot. I don't think we can, ma'am. Come on, Percy. Oh, sh sure we can. I said. I was irritated with Annabeth for being so bossy, so rude to an old lady who had just fed us for free. It's just a photo, Annabeth. What's the harm? Yes, Annabeth, the woman purred. No harm. I could tell Annabeth didn't like it, but she allowed Auntie M to lead us back to the front door, into the garden of statues. Auntie M directed us to a park bench next to the stone satyr. Now, she said, I'll just position you correctly. The young girl in the middle, I think, and the two young gentlemen on either side. Not much light for a photo, I remarked. Oh, enough, Auntie M said. Enough for us to see each other, yes? Where is your camera? Grover asked. Auntie M stepped back as if to admire the shot. Now the face. The face is the most difficult. Can you smile for me, please, everyone? A large smile. Grover glanced at the cement satyr next to him, mumbled, that sure does look like Uncle Ferdinand. Grover, Auntie M chastised. Look this way, dear. She still had no camera in her hands. Percy, Annabeth said. Some instinct warned me to listen to Annabeth, but I was fighting the sleepy feeling, the, the comfortable lull that came from the food and the old lady's voice. It will just be a moment, Auntie M said. You know, I can't see you very well in this cursed veil. Percy, something's wrong, Annabeth insisted. Wrong, Auntie M said, reaching up to undo the wrap around her head. Not at all, dear. I have such noble company tonight. What could be wrong? That... that is Uncle Ferdinand, Grover gasped. Look away from her, Annabeth shouted. She whipped her Yankees cap onto her head and vanished. Her invisible hands pushed Grover and me both off the bench. I was on the ground, looking at Auntie M's sandaled feet. I could hear Grover scrambling off in one direction, Annabeth in another, but I was too dazed to move. And then I heard a strange rasping sound above me. 
My eyes rose to Auntie M's hands, which had turned gnarled and warty with sharp bronze talons for fingernails. I almost looked higher, but somewhere off to my left, Annabeth screamed, No! Don't! More rasping. The sound of tiny snakes right above me, from, from right about where Auntie M's head would be. Run, Grover bleated. I heard him racing across the gravel, yelling, Maya! to start his flying sneakers. I couldn't move. I stared at Auntie M's gnarled claws and tried to fight the groggy trance that the old woman had put me into. Such a pity to destroy a handsome young face, she told me soothingly. Stay with me, Percy. All you have to do is look up. I fought the urge to obey. Instead, I looked to one side and saw one of those glass spheres that people put in gardens, a gazing ball. I could see Auntie M's dark reflection in the orange glass. Her headdress was gone, revealing her face as shimmering, pale circle. Her hair was moving, writhing like serpents. Auntie M. Auntie M. How could I have been so stupid? Think, I told myself. How did Medusa die in the myth? But I couldn't think. Something told me that in the myth, Medusa had been asleep when she had been attacked by my namesake, Perseus. She wasn't anywhere near asleep now. If she wanted, she could take those talons right now and rake open my face. The gray-eyed one did this to me, Percy, Medusa said. She didn't sound anything like a monster. Her voice invited me to look up, to sympathize with a poor old grandmother. Annabeth's mother, the cursed Athena, turned me from a beautiful woman into this. Don't listen to her. Annabeth's voice shouted somewhere in the statuary, Run, Percy! Silence, Medusa snarled, then her voice modulated back to a comforting purr. You see why I must destroy the girl, Percy? She is my enemy's daughter. I shall crush her statue to dust. But you... Dear Percy, you need not suffer. No, I muttered. I tried to make my legs move. Do you really want to help the gods? Medusa asked. Do you understand what awaits you on this foolish quest, Percy? What will happen if you reach the underworld? Do not be a pawn of the Olympians, my dear. You would be better off as a statue. Less pain, less pain. Percy, 
I heard a buzzing sound like a 200-pound hummingbird in a nosedive. Grover yelled, Duck! I turned, and there he was in the night sky, flying in from 12 o'clock with his winged shoes fluttering, Grover, holding a tree branch the size of a baseball bat. His eyes were shut tight, his head twitched from side to side. He was navigating by ears and nose alone. Duck! he yelled again. I'll get a... That finally jolted me into action. Knowing Grover, I was sure he'd miss Medusa and nail me, so I dove to one side. At first I figured it was the sound of Grover hitting a tree, and then Medusa roared with rage. You miserable satyr! She snarled. I'll add you to my collection! That was for Uncle Ferdinand! Grover yelled back. I scrambled away and hid in the statuary while Grover swooped down for another pass. Medusa yelled, her snake hair hissing and spitting. Right next to me, Annabeth's voice said, Percy? I jumped so high my feet nearly cleared a garden gnome. Jeez, don't do that. Annabeth took off her Yankees cap and became visible. You have to cut her head off. What are you, are you crazy? Let's just get out of here. Medusa is a menace. She's evil. I, I would kill her myself, but... Annabeth swallowed as if she were about to make a difficult admission. But you've got the better weapon. Besides, I would never get close to her. She'd slice me to bits because of my mother. You... You've actually got a chance. What? I can't... Look, do you want her turning more innocent people into statues? She pointed to a pair of lovers, a man and a woman with their arms around each other, turned to stone by the monster. Annabeth grabbed a green gazing ball from a nearby pedestal. A polished shield would be better. She studied the sphere critically. The convexity will cause some distortion. The reflection size should be off by a factor of... Will you speak English? I am. She tossed me the glass ball. Just look at her in the glass. Never look at her directly. Hey, guys. Grover yelled somewhere above us. I think that she's unconscious. <laughs> Maybe not, Grover corrected. He went in for another pass with a tree branch. Hurry, Annabeth told me. Grover's got a great nose, but eventually he's going to crash. I took out my pen and uncapped it. The bronze blade of Riptide elongated in my hand. I followed the hissing and spitting sounds of Medusa's hair. I kept my eyes locked on the gazing ball, so I would only glimpse Medusa's reflection, but not the real thing. Then, in the green-tinted glass, I saw her. Grover was coming in for another turn at bat, but this time he flew a little too slow. Medusa grabbed the stick and pulled him off course. He tumbled through the air and crashed into the arms of a stone grizzly bear with a painful, Oh! <sighs> Medusa was about to lunge at him when I yelled, Hey! I advanced on her, which wasn't easy, holding a sword and a glass ball. If she charged, I'd have a hard time defending myself. But she let me approach. Twenty feet. Ten feet. 
I could see the reflection of her face now. Surely it wasn't really that ugly. The green swirls of the gazing ball must be distorting it, making it look worse. You... you wouldn't harm an old woman, Percy, she crooned. I know you wouldn't. I hesitated, fascinated by the face I saw reflected in the glass. The eyes that seemed to burn straight through the green tint, making my arms go weak. From the cement grizzly, Grover moaned, Percy, don't listen to her. Medusa cackled. <laughs> Too late! She lunged at me with her talons. I slashed upward with my sword. I heard a sickening, and then a hiss, like the sound of wind rushing out of a cavern, the sound of a monster disintegrating. Something fell to the ground next to my foot. It took all my willpower not to look. I could feel a warm ooze soaking into my sock, little dying snake heads tugging at my shoelaces. Oh, yuck, Grover said. His eyes were still tightly closed, but I guess he could still hear the thing gurgling and steaming. Mega yuck! Annabeth came up next to me, her eyes fixed on the sky. She was holding Medusa's black veil. She said, Don't move. Very carefully, very carefully, without looking down, she knelt and draped the monster's head in black cloth, and then picked it up. It was still dripping green juice. Are you okay? She asked me, her voice trembling. Yeah, I decided, though I felt like throwing up my double cheeseburger. Why didn't... Why didn't the head evaporate? Once you sever it, it becomes a spoil of war, she said. Same as your minotaur horn. But don't unwrap the head. It can still petrify you. Grover moaned as he climbed down from the grisly statue. He had a big welt on his forehead. His green rasta cap hung from one of his tiny little goat horns, and his fake feet had been knocked off of his hooves. The magic sneakers were flying aimlessly around his head. <laughs> the Red Baron, I said. Good job, man. He managed a bashful grin. That... Really was not fun, though. Well, the hitting her with a stick part, that was fun, but crashing into a concrete bear, not fun. He snatched his shoes out of the air. I recapped my sword. Together, the three of us stumbled back to the warehouse. We found some old plastic grocery bags behind the snack counter and double-wrapped Medusa's head. We plopped it onto the table where we'd eaten dinner and sat around it, too exhausted to speak. Finally, I said, So, we have Athena to thank for this monster? Annabeth flashed me an irritated look. You're dead, actually. Don't you remember? Medusa was Poseidon's girlfriend. They decided to meet in my mother's temple, and that's why Athena turned her into a monster. Medusa and her two sisters, who helped get into the temple... They became the three Gorgons. That's why Medusa wanted me to get sliced up, but she wanted to preserve you as a nice statue. 
She's still sweet on your dad. You probably reminded her of him. My face was burning. Oh, great, so now it's my fault that we met Medusa. Annabeth straightened. In a bad imitation of my voice, she said, Oh, it's just a photo, Annabeth. What's the harm? Oh, forget it, I said. You're impossible. You're insufferable. You're... Hey, Grover interrupted. You talk giving me a migraine and Satan's don't even get migraines. What are we going to do with the head? I stared at the thing. One little snake was hanging out of a hole in the plastic. The words printed on the side said, We appreciate your business. I was angry, not just with Annabeth or with her mom, but for all the gods for this whole quest, for getting us blown off the road and in two major fights on the very first day out from camp. At this rate, we would never make it to L.A. alive, much less before the summer solstice. What had, what had Medusa said? Do not be a pawn of the Olympians, my dear. You would be better off as a statue. I got up. I'll be back. Percy? Annabeth called after me. What are you... I searched the back of the warehouse until I found Medusa's office. Her account book showed her six most recent sales, all shipments to the underworld to decorate Hades and Persephone's garden. According to one freight bill, the Underworld's billing address was DOA Recording Studios, West Hollywood, California. I folded up the bill and stuffed it in my pocket. In the cash register, I found $20, a few golden drachmas, and some packing slips for Hermes Overnight Express, each with a little leather bag attached for coins. I rummaged around the rest of the office until I found the right-sized box. I went back to the picnic table, packed up Medusa's head, and filled out a delivery slip. The Gods, Mount Olympus, 600th floor, Empire State Building, New York, New York. With best wishes, Percy Jackson. They're not going to like that, Grover warned. They'll think that you're impertinent. I poured some golden drachmas in the pouch. As soon as I closed it, there was a sound like a cash register. The package floated off the table and disappeared with a... I am impertinent, I said. I looked at Annabeth, daring her to criticize. She didn't. She seemed resigned to the fact that I had a major talent for ticking off the gods. Come on, she muttered. We need a new plan. And that is, believe it or not, the end of our first chapter for today. What are we thinking so far, gang? How are we feeling? There was a lot of uh, a lot of dialogue in that one, so those tend to go pretty quick. I tend to read fairly quickly, um, read the the dialogue fairly quick, fairly quickly, and then the the text somewhat less so. But everyone, what do we think? What do we think? For those of you who don't know, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and tonight is Thursday, which makes this Flying Sidecar. This is a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love. And right now, we are, of course, reading through Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the Lightning Thief. Now, if you are looking for um, back episodes of this, where are they at? Where can we find them? You can follow these links here and uh, over on Discord and on the wiki. You can follow those links. That is, remember, that is, that's the hub right there. We got the we got the the sidecar garage over in Discord. Um, you can follow us there for discussions and such. And then of course we do live here, back us episodes on YouTube, and uh, some various other spots for various different interesting projects. Gems says, 
One student, George, walked into class yesterday and, imitating you perfectly, said, Food! I am really glad to hear it. Uh, George, well done. Well done, George. Uh, I imagine uh, most of Gems' class is listening on YouTube. I want to say hello to you all once again. How are y'all doing? I hope you're having a great one. Um, everyone in Gems' class, uh, all of you, all of you fantastic Romanian students, um, it's great to have you here. It's great to have you here. I'm glad that Gems brought you in, and I'm glad y'all are enjoying it. Um, y'all leave me some awesome YouTube comments, uh, I, and I've been reading them. I can't get to all of them, unfortunately, sometimes, but I really appreciate you stopping in to say hi. It's awesome, and I'm glad to have you here. Thank you all for hanging out. Uh, Luke is wondering, does dead Medusa in the underworld turn other spirits to stone? Interesting. Interesting. Um, and, uh, Luke says, actually, there's a Wikipedia thing about it. Hold on. Um, in which case, it looks like we're about to get some good information. Now, if y'all are wondering about, you know, how can I, how can I sort of, like, how do I talk about these things that might be spoilers sometimes? Like, if, if Luke finds out something, something crazy about Medusa and the Underworld, there's a perfect channel for it. Um, we've got PJ underscore spoilers. That's a channel over in Discord where you can talk about all the spoiler stuff that you wish to, um, Gem says spirits. Not sure about that. Yeah, it is. It's just such a curious thing because, of course, um, the Harry Potter series was pretty much created from whole cloth, right? There was no reference back to, with the exception of a couple of the names, might have might have uh, you know tipped you off to certain the, the ways that certain individuals would behave. Other than that, there was really no way to like look back through some sort of history or lore and say like, oh, I can guess kind of what's going to happen here. That's a little different with Greek mythology, right? There's a lot of background in Greek mythology, so I think, you know, as we as we look into those things, um, for some of you, that's going to be a ton of fun. For some of you, that's going to feel too much like spoilers. And I would say, yeah, each one of you, do what you will. But uh, I would always encourage you to, once you see something here, especially if you don't really understand it yet, go look it up. Go look it up. Wikipedia, you know, is it a... It is a is it a, um, a good source for citing your papers? No, not necessarily. But is it a good place to get a foundation in some things? And, and then scroll down to the bottom and check some of the sources that they use to, to write the Wikipedia page. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I would say Wikipedia, the um, make sure, like in all things, to you know check your sources. Make sure you're getting these things from reputable groups. But um, when you don't understand something, look it up, whether it's anything from a word to a whole concept of, of uh, you know, like Greek mythology or history or what have you. Google knows all slash trust Wikipedia, says Memnite. Memnite swinging back in with the, with the hashtags. Um, <laughs> I would say, I would say, yeah, you know, you can trust Wikipedia with, with a lot of, of good foundation uh, for starting to understand things. Um... Stationary Fork says she came back as a pirate. Har har. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yar. It be me, Medusa. Medusa. <laughs> um, okay, now. Sandra says, I don't see the Greek mythology as spoilers. Everything in there our main characters know already. Um, I mean, not necessarily. Um, and keep in mind that, you know, that while the main character might know something, uh, we as the readers don't necessarily know it. So, again, yeah, this is just the sort of thing where I think you know, it's kind of up to y'all to decide how you want to enjoy this. Um, I think every time you you very well could try to try to ignore any any research about it and just try to experience this thing top to bottom uh, as you know someone from this world might. You know, Percy I would say knows a bit more about Greek mythology than the average person, but you know definitely doesn't know about all the ins and outs with all the different relationships between the gods necessarily. Um, you could kind of go into it like that, or you know 
dive deep into this. Every time you hear a name, like jump in and read a little bit about it. Um, and I think that will provide a very different, but a totally valid way to enjoy these, these series. Uh, Luke says Percy remains fairly unknowing of the mist at large. Annabeth kicks his butt. It does seem that way, right? And um, I think, you know what? I think that's a great place to 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 go with our chatterbreak question right now. Uh, I think we're going to call this chatterbreak question essentially, if you were Percy Jackson in this instance, if you were Percy Jackson, what part of Greek mythology would you immediately be trying to get your hands on a book for and start reading? Right. What would your it, you, you are Percy Jackson right here. You know, let's say you've got a chance to stop by the library or at the very least have Annabeth teach you a few things about Greek mythology. What are the first things that you would want to know as Percy right now? We're getting this kind of interesting character dynamic, um, much as we have seen in Harry Potter as well. I think there's a um, there are a few they're They're called archetypes. And uh, when I say archetype, what that means in general is sort of a main sort of an idea of a person. Right. It's a it's a type of person that shows up a lot. Right. And archetypes are enormous in just about any kind of mythology. But um, in this genre of of literature, this sort of young adult genre, there is this there are these kind of archetypal roles, um, which means that like uh, there's sort of like the the studious one, right? The one who has all the facts might be a little bit of a know-it-all sometimes. Um, uh, the one who really focuses on their studies. And uh, of course, of course, we know who that was in Harry Potter. We've got Ron Weasley. I'm joking. Uh, Hermione. Um, uh, we have the the friend who is who really displays a lot of loyalty, um, even if they don't necessarily seem like they are perfectly equipped for every adventure or danger. Um, and of course, we've got Grover playing that role in here. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've got kind of our, our main character who, as we've talked about before, experiences a lot of confusion. Um, now, these are these are. I would say looser and newer archetypes than some of the ones that um, might be present in other parts of literature, in, in older and, and you know much more storied history literature, right? Um, but uh, I think we're seeing a similar dynamic with these characters. Um, so keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on the, the relationship between them. Keep an eye on all the things that each one of them is bringing to this quest, right? What's what's the value that they're bringing here? Um, and uh, you know, compare that against Harry Potter a little bit. Think about the ways in which, you know, if if uh, if we traded out some of these archetypes, right? Um, and I'll just, I'll, I'll go with Percy just to not sort of like blow too much up. If we switched Harry Potter and Percy in this situation, how would this story go a little bit differently right now? Maybe switch out a few other characters. How would that change the story? How would that change the dynamic between these characters? Uh, Aaron Custom Crochet says, uh, I would learn the relationship between his dad and the people he's with on his quest. The relationship between his, his between Poseidon and the other gods, that would be an excellent place to start. Uh, Holly Rose said, I would probably want to know everything about my godly parent to know what monsters slash gods have history with them that would affect my interactions. I'd also like to know what powers I might have or be able to develop. Yeah, definitely. A ton about, a ton about, um, uh, and, and Lisa Hall is saying something kind of similar here. Uh, and, Hogwarts Hippie, thank you very much for, for reiterating. It's always very helpful to have somebody to actually put it into words. Um, the, the This relationship with, with Poseidon, this Poseidon is obviously going to play a huge part in Percy's life. It might help to know a bit more about Poseidon. Now that, now that it's kind of narrowed down, right? Because on his first few days at camp, there was no way for him to know. Like, he, he, he wouldn't have even had a good place to start. He would have just had to learn about all the gods and think, you know, well, somewhere in there is my dad. 
But now he knows. He's got it all the way narrowed down to Poseidon, and I think studying about Poseidon would be an excellent idea. Um, let's see. But it's not the only right idea. Let's see Let's see what else we've got here. Stationary Fork says, um, if I were Percy, I would want to know about Poseidon and his friends and enemies, some of his history, better know who could be trusted on the quest or why certain monsters might be hunting him specifically, because it's his dad. Woodson says, as Percy, I would immediately want to know about who Poseidon's enemies and allies are. It sounds like we've got a pretty solid consensus here, right? Learning about your learning about your background, learning about your history, right? What what part do you play? What what's what's your place in the world? And and Poseidon's a huge part of that. Okay, everyone, I think that's a good a good good point for me to go take my break on. We've got the we've got the discussion launched. Y'all keep talking about it. Talk about what other things you might take a look at as well, because I think we've got a we've got a good track here. Look up Poseidon. What ha- what after that? Once you've got a little bit of a foundation underneath you with Poseidon, what comes next? All right, everyone, I'll see you in five. And then we're going to do our our next chapter for the night. That's right. We do two of them for anyone who's new here. I'll see you in a bit. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone, and we are back. It sounds like, uh, with our Chatterbreak question, the question, of course, being, if you are Percy in this moment, what is it that you're going to try and research next? What would you try and learn about Greek mythology? Um, We had a lot of great input about, specifically, Poseidon, and I think that's a great place to start. What should should Percy know about the, the world? Well, where he came from, right? He should try to get a little bit better understanding of that. And I think, y'all have been discussing this, it looks like Luke has perhaps put in a ranking. Uh, number one, Godcestry.com. <laughs> Ancestry.com, um, but for gods, uh, who who your daddy is, that sort of thing. Number two, enemies and frenemies. Because <laughs> that is that is kind of how it was in Greek mythology, right? I would, say, I would say there were more frenemy relationships than there were like straight up enemy relationships. Um... And then finally, number three, powers, battle, tactics, etc. And number four, who knows? Question mark. So I'm going to rewind in the conversation a little bit. Thank you for the recap, Luke, um, because I think you're right. I think, you know, going in that order probably makes quite a bit of sense. Um, let's see. Where have I been? Let's see what I miss. Ooh, I missed a decent bit. Y'all did good. Y'all did good. Y'all did good. There's a lot of discussion in here. Um, Hogwarts Hippie says, I would definitely want to learn about the big three. Um, interesting. And and uh, Hogwarts Hippie has put the big three down as Athena, Ares, and Poseidon. Interesting. The big three in, in this, as at least as uh, Annabeth has expressed it, are uh, Hades and Zeus and Poseidon. Um, but this might be a big three for a different reason. Uh, Gems says, I'm the only person not obsessed with my parent, but more than want, uh, but more... Wanting to know how all the stories work together. Interesting. Uh, Emmy Lou says, I would just learn about the monsters in general. What I might encounter since I've already encountered three. Yes, a great point, right? What are... Because it, it does seem like the gods kind of stay away. They sort of seem kind of hands-off. We have yet to see a god except for Mr. D, to our knowledge. Um, but what they do, it seems, is send their little minions and monsters and such. And so, I think, yeah, I think Emmy Lou is onto something great here. Um, what are they going to send after me? An excellent point. Um, Sparkle Lovegood says, I'd want to know who wants to kill me. Yes. Okay. So I think that we can kind of tie that into Poseidon, frenemies, enemies, that sort of thing. Like, who who is it that's going to be pissed off enough at Poseidon to send someone after me, his son? 
his his offspring sorry his child um uh luke says i think i would want to know about dionysus if i were in half-blood hill uh that guy's sus do you know you know y'all want to hear something weird it talks this book talks a lot about uh you know percy's dyslexia i don't have dyslexia um to my knowledge um but i will say for whatever the heck reason y'all heard me luke stolzfus wrote camp half-blood and what I read was Half-Blood Hill. I've been doing the exact same thing in reverse. Uh, every time we read uh, Half-Blood Hill, I read it as Camp Half-Blood. And I just sort of skim on because I think it, it continues to make sense. But I don't know why I, I will only read those as the opposite of whatever it has been input. I don't know what my deal is. Um, Rowlett, no, you missed the first chapter. But we are moving on to a second one just about right now. So get, get, get settled in. Get your blanket. Get your tea what have you, maybe your hot chocolate, um, and, uh, or maybe your s'mores dip. Hey, y'all want to hear about s'mores dip? Um, put a little bit of, put some, some chocolate in the bottom of a baking dish and then put some marshmallows on top of that and then get those nice and warm and melty, uh, and then use graham crackers to dip in it. Now you can't tell mama Cass when she comes back back later that I've been talking about it. Cause we're, we're trying to be on keto right now. And so it would be very bad for her to hear about that. Um, let's see. Uh, Memnite says he doesn't remember junk. Danisha says after the history of the gods, it'd be great if there was a book on how to easily build ancient Greek, uh, weapons or magic items like Annabeth's cap, uh, to get away from monsters. Yeah. Either, either how to make them or where to find them or like who has them to see if you might be able to say like, Hey, um, Look, I know you're a hero and stuff, but can I just, can I just get this? Can I just get this real quick? Can I borrow this? I'm kind of on a, kind of doing a thing here. Uh, Luke says, how big do you think Percy's powers go? <laughs> 10,000 feet deep? Tsunami? Hurricane? All excellent questions. This is a bad chat for Midnight Snack. Yeah, no, it definitely is gems, and I wish you a lot of luck. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about making y'all hungry. Um... But uh, hey, it's a good one, especially especially in the the cold, cold winter times. Then uh, she says, "I've done that." Uh, there are also rectangular s'mores marshmallows uh, in Target for the right size for, uh, that are the right size for s'mores. Yeah, those can be handy too, for sure. Okay, all right. Yeah, gems. Gems thinks he's only we've only seen one percent of his power. Oh, y'all, y'all. If you hadn't watched uh, any of the Warzone plays. Um, Y'all have not been introduced yet to Professor Anime, and I don't think now is the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, Luke says right now his biggest power is something neighborhood kids do when they're bored. It does seem that way, doesn't it? We'll see. We'll see if any of those powers grow and develop. Everyone, thank you very, very much for uh, for hanging out, for discussing. Uh, I think this is a great talk about uh, you know our characters and our protagonists and the position that he's in right now. Uh, we're in that stage where he needs to learn quite a bit, and... So far, he's sort of, he's willing to absorb it when it's presented to him, but we don't see him kind of pursuing it right now. Um, I want to definitely make sure to mention, uh, I really appreciate a couple of folks in here. Um, uh, Aiden, I believe, is new, and the Deku dude, Der Hobby Historica, Der Hobby Historica, I don't know how precisely to pronounce it, but hey, to all of you, thank you very much for the follow, welcome to Scooter Patrol, and of course, Hogwarts Hippie. Thank you a ton for giving out those community subs. Uh, that is a, a wonderful gift to give to both them and me, so I appreciate it a ton. Uh, thank you, and thanks for hanging out. As always, as always throughout all this, thank you a bunch for hanging out. Okay, everyone, it's time for review. Now, 
what do we see in our last chapter? Well, it was kind of in two parts, right? Part one, uh, they are kind of lost in the woods and they're looking for some way to to kind of proceed, right? They've 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 just been kicked off of this bus that they were supposed to take for quite some distance, and they're still in New York. Um, what are they going to do about this? Well, uh, they find a little kind of garden gnome emporium. They're 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 following their noses. They smell what seems like it's probably fast food or at least something like that. Food at the very least. Um, the <laughs> uh, the thing is. This place is owned and operated by this odd old woman. She seems kind enough at first, and then she begins to act a little strangely. Um, and then we start to put together some of the pieces. At least Percy does. Um, Auntie M? Hmm. Maybe with all of these statues around, could that hint at perhaps Medusa? And it does indeed. Um, the, the veil comes off, and Medusa is trying to trying to, you know, petrify them, and especially Annabeth. She's got something out for Annabeth specifically, and we learn a little bit later after, uh, you know, Grover has come in for a distraction, and Annabeth has pointed Percy in the right spot, but kind of been a little hesitant herself to go and attack, and Percy runs in and slashes Medusa's head off. After all this, we learn that, well, it is... It's Annabeth's mother who actually cursed Medusa to be like this in the first place. And why? Well, it's because... Medusa was hooking up with Poseidon in Athena's temple. As you can hear, it is essentially a soap opera, but uh, it has been very entertaining thus far, and now they're having to decide kind of what to do next. They have collected as much as they can, and Percy has sent off a little message. He has put um, a... There, there are some packing slips. It seems like Medusa has been shipping some of these things, uh, some of these statues to the underworld, perhaps other places. But uh, Percy grabs one of these packing boxes and a, a little packing slip and sends Medusa's head off to the gods at Mount Olympus. That's what's up. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, now, uh, baby, baby Tierney, if they, if they. Come and hang out over here. Otherwise, there's not a great way for me to know. Um, but uh, I do appreciate it. I do appreciate it a lot. Yeah, who is it? Um, I'm I'm keeping an eye on the Percy Jackson discussion channel. Uh, not the spoilers, not the art channel for right now, but uh, the discussion channel. Uh, so yeah, if if hey, ah, wait, they had to leave. <laughs> I see. That's all right. Maybe another time. Um, now, everyone, that is basically our review. Uh, not much more to be said about it. Um, they've already had to do this much fighting, and it's only been like a day and a half. Let's see if they have to keep it up. Everyone, thank you very much for being here with me once again. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. It is Thursday, so that is Flying Sidecar. And if you would like to learn more about the show, you can follow the link in chat or in the YouTube description right there. Let's do it. Chapter 12. We get advice from a poodle. We were pretty miserable that night. We camped out in the woods, a hundred yards from the main road, in a marshy clearing that the local kids had obviously been using for parties. The ground was littered with flattened soda cans and fast food wrappers. We had taken some food and blankets from Auntie M's, but we didn't dare light a fire or dry our damp clothes. The Furies and Medusa had provided enough excitement for one day. We didn't want to attract anything else. We decided to sleep in shifts. I volunteered to take first watch. 
Annabeth curled up in the blankets and was snoring as soon as her head hit the ground. Grover fluttered with his flying shoes to the lowest bough of a tree, put his back to the trunk, and stared at the night sky. You can go ahead and sleep, I told him. I'll wake you up if there's any trouble. He nodded, but still didn't close his eyes. It makes me sad, Percy. <laughs> what does? The fact you signed up for this stupid quest? No. This makes me sad. He pointed at all the garbage on the ground. And the sky. You can't even see the stars. They've polluted the sky. This is a terrible time to be a satyr. Oh, yeah, I, I guess you'd be an environmentalist. He glared at me. Only a human wouldn't be. Your species is clogging up the world so fast that... Uh, never mind. It's useless to lecture a human. At the rate that things are going, I'll never find Pan. Pam? Like the cooking spray? Pan! He cried indignantly. P-A-N. The great god Pan. What do you think I want a searcher's license for? A strange breeze ruffled through the clearing, temporarily overpowering the stink of trash and muck. It brought the scent of berries and wildflowers and clean rainwater, things that might have once been in these woods. Suddenly I was nostalgic for something I had never known. Tell me about the search, I said. Grover looked at me cautiously, as if he were afraid I were just making fun. The, the god of wild places disappeared two thousand years ago, he told me. A sailor off the coast of Ephesus heard a mysterious voice crying out from the shore, Tell them that the great god Pan has died. When humans heard the news, they believed it. They've been pillaging Pan's kingdom ever since. But for the satyrs... Pan was our lord and master. He protected us when the wild places of the earth were still wild. We refused to believe that he has died. In every generation, the bravest satyrs pledge their lives to finding Pan. They search the earth, exploring all the wildest places, hoping to find where he is hidden and to wake him from his sleep. And you want to be a searcher? It's my life's dream, he said. My father was a searcher, and my uncle Ferdinand. The statue that you saw back there. Oh, right. Sorry. Grover shook his head. Uncle Ferdinand knew the risks. So did my dad. But I'll succeed. I'll be the first searcher to return alive. Hang on. The first... Grover took out his reed pipes from his pocket. No searcher has ever come back. Once they set out, they disappear. They're never seen alive again. Not, not once in 2,000 years. No. And your dad? You've got just no idea what happened to him? None. But you still want to go, I said, amazed. I mean, you really think that you'll be the one to find Pan? I have to believe it, Percy. Every searcher does. 
It's the only thing that keeps us from despair when we look at what humans have done to the world. I have to believe that Pan can still be awakened. I stared at the orange haze of the sky and tried to understand how Grover could pursue a dream that seemed so hopeless. Then again, was I any better? How are we going to get into the underworld? I asked him. I mean, what chance do we have against a god? I don't know, he admitted. But back at Medusa's, when you were searching her office, Annabeth was telling me. Oh, I forgot. Annabeth will have a plan all figured out. Don't be so hard on her, Percy. She's had a tough life, but she's a good person. After all, she forgave me. His voice faltered. What do you mean? I asked. Forgave you for what? Suddenly, Grover seemed very interested in playing notes on his pipes. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute, I said. Your first keeper job was five years ago. Annabeth has been at this camp for five years. She wasn't... I mean, your first assignment that went wrong, I... I can't talk about it, Grover said, and his quivering lower lip suggested he'd start crying if I pressed him. But, as I was saying, back at Medusa's, Annabeth and I agreed there's something strange going on with this quest. Something isn't what it seems. Well, duh, I'm getting blamed for stealing a thunderbolt that Hades took. That's not what I mean, Grover said. The few, the kindly ones were sort of holding back, like Mrs. Dodds at the Yancey Academy. Why did she wait so long before trying to kill you? And then on the bus, they just, they weren't as aggressive as they could have been. They seemed plenty aggressive to me. Grover shook his head. They were screeching at us. Where is it? Where? Asking about me, I said. Maybe. But... Annabeth and I, we, we both got the feeling that they weren't asking about a person. They said, where is it? They seemed to be asking about an object. That doesn't make any sense. I know, but if we've misunderstood something about this quest, we've only got nine days to find the Master Bolt, and... He looked at me like he was hoping for answers, but I didn't have any. I thought about what Medusa had said. I was being used by the gods. What lay ahead of me was worse than petrification. I... Oh, I haven't been straight with you, I told Grover. I don't care about the Master Bolt. I agreed to go to the underworld so that I could bring back my mother. Grover blew a soft note on his pipes. <laughs> I know that, Percy. But are you sure that that's the only reason? I'm not doing it to help my father. He doesn't care about me. I don't care about him. Grover gazed down from his tree branch. Look, Percy, I, I'm not as smart as Annabeth. I'm not as brave as you, but I'm pretty good at reading emotion. You're glad that your dad is alive. You feel good that he's claimed you. And part of you wants to make him proud. That's why you mailed Medusa's head to Olympus. You wanted him to notice what you'd done. Yeah, well, maybe satyr emotions work differently than human emotions. Because you're wrong. I don't care what he thinks. Gover pulled his feet up onto the branch. 
Okay, pussy. Whatever. Besides, I haven't done anything worth bragging about. We barely got out of New York and we're stuck here with no money and no way west. Grover looked at the night sky like he was thinking about that problem. How about I take first watch, hmm? You get some sleep. I wanted to protest, but he started playing Mozart. Soft and sweet, and I, I turned away, my eyes stinging. After a few bars of Piano Concerto Number 12, I was asleep. In my dreams, I stood in a dark cavern before a gaping pit. Gray mist creatures churned all around me, whispering rags of smoke that I somehow knew were spirits of the dead. They tugged at my clothes, trying to pull me back, but I felt compelled to walk forward to the very edge of the chasm. Looking down made me dizzy. The pit yawned so wide and was so completely black I knew it must be bottomless. Yet I had a feeling that something was trying to rise from the abyss, something huge and evil. <laughs> An amused voice echoed far down in the darkness. Too weak. But perhaps you will do. The voice felt ancient, cold and heavy. It wrapped around me like sheets of lead. They have misled you, boy. It said, Barter with me. I'll give you what you want. A shimmering image hovered over the void. My mother, frozen at the moment she dissolved into a shower of gold. Her face was distorted with pain, as if the Minotaur were still squeezing her neck. Her eyes looked directly at me, pleading, Go. I tried to cry out, but my voice wouldn't work. Cold laughter echoed from the chasm. <laughs> An invisible force pulled me forward. It would drag me into the pit unless I stood firm. Help me rise, boy! The voice became hungrier. Bring me the bolt. Strike a blow against the treacherous gods. The spirits of the dead whispered around me, No, no, wake. The image of my mother began to fade. The thing in the pit tightened its unseen grip around me. I realized it wasn't interested in pulling me in. It was trying to use me to pull itself out. Good. It murmured. Good. Wake. 
the dead whispered. Someone was shaking me. My eyes opened, and it was daylight. Well, Annabeth said, the zombie lives. I was trembling from the dream. I could still feel the grip of the chasm monster around my chest. How long was I asleep? Long enough for me to cook breakfast? Annabeth tossed me a bag of nacho-flavored corn chips from Auntie M's snack bar. And Grover went exploring. Look, he found a friend. My eyes had trouble focusing. Grover was sitting cross-legged on a blanket with something fuzzy in his lap. A dirty, unnaturally pink stuffed animal. Mm, nope. It wasn't a stuffed animal. It was a pink poodle. The poodle yapped at me suspiciously. Grover said, No, no, he's not. I blinked. Are you... Ugh, are you talking to that thing? The poodle growled. This thing, Grover warned us, is our ticket west. Be nice to him. You can talk to animals? Grover ignored the question. Percy, meet Gladiola. Gladiola, Percy. I stared at Annabeth, figuring she'd crack up at this practical joke that they were playing on me. But she looked deadly serious. I'm not going to say hello to a pink poodle, I said. Forget it. Percy? Annabeth said. I said hello to the poodle. You can say hello to the poodle. The poodle growled. <coughs> I said hello to the poodle. Grover explained that he'd come across Gladiola in the woods, and they'd struck up a conversation. The poodle had run away from a rich local family, who'd posted a $200 reward for his return. Gladiola didn't really want to go back to his family, but he was willing to if it meant helping Grover. How does Gladiola know about the reward? I asked. He read the signs, Grover said. Duh. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, of course. I said, "Gently me. So, we turn in Gladiola, Annabeth's, explaining in her best strategy voice. We get money and we buy tickets to Los Angeles. Simple. I thought about my dream. The whispering voices of the dead. The thing in the chasm and my mother's face, shimmering as it dissolved into gold. All that might be waiting for me in the West. Not another bus, I said warily. No, Annabeth agreed. She pointed downhill, toward train tracks that I hadn't been able to see the last night in the dark. There's an Amtrak station about a half a mile that way. According to Gladiola, the westbound train leaves at noon. And that is the end of our chapter for today. But... I have got an idea. I think we are, uh, of course, it, it's not a second chapter. I just, I want to disabuse you of that idea, unfortunately, right now. But, you know, we've got folks contributing art. It is time for the art parade. Art portrayed. Art portrayed. Art parade. All of you listen to my serenade. Everyone, I want to thank you very much. Uh, for those of you who contributed art, we've got some of the, these pieces from here today. Um, 
Bells, thank you a ton for finding this one for us. Of course, this one is by. Uh, it's very small and hard for me to read. Uh, Alex Copeman, at Alex Copeman. Um, I did not get a sense of which platform, but I'm going to anticipate that uh, Instagram is going to be a good place to find it. Um, uh, it, the art, them, the person. There we go. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we have got uh, this one, which I believe I found. And then uh, Tanisha. Tanisha in Discord. Thank you very much for making this one. I like this one a lot. It is very moody. Uh, and, of course, we can see Percy over on the right there. Um, Tanisha, thank you a ton for this one uh, and for illustrating all of these spirits of the dead. Tanisha, this one's fantastic. Um, and Bells, of course. Bells has gotten us connected with some fantastic artists, uh, as has... Uh, Holly Rose. So to both of you, uh, thank you very much. I don't think, let's see, I think uh, Holly found one that we can't, we couldn't use yet today, uh, but we're going to be able to use, I believe, next chapter. Yes. Yes, indeed. So y'all, thank you very much. Art Parade. All y'all listen to my say, I run aid. That's, I guess, I guess that's the theme song. That's the Art Parade theme song. <laughs> I need, I need a better cadence to it. Not all y'all listen to my serenade. It's something about a serenade, but, but Art Parade. Art Parade. Y'all, thank you a ton. Um, Sander, I know it's late. I hope you have a good one. Um, and yeah, you know what? Heck, this being our, our inaugural Art Parade. Art Parade! Uh, of course, of course, uh, we can't forget a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the very first piece of art that somebody contributed toward the channel um, was my logo. Logo, excuse me, my logo. Uh, thank you a ton to... Uh, you've gone by Crossy before? XX, Crossy, XX. I'm gonna have to double check with you that you want to you want your like your your changed handle to be like referenced here. But of course, thank you a ton for that. And then we cannot forget, we cannot forget Holly Rose. Holly Rose for making the now iconic. Uh, uh, it's the it's the magic treehouse as far as I'm concerned. Let's check it out. Here it is, Holly Rose. Thank you a million. Right? Right? How good is that? Super good. Art Parade! Shut up and listen to my serenade. <laughs> um, what what tune am I singing that to, by the way? I recognize that from something, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, Lo-fi Samwise. I like it. Yeah, I, cu I just cut out the window, and now I just put it, you know, wherever we're at. Wherever adventure we happen to be going on. Uh, I really like the one for The Hobbit as well. Um, you did a fantastic job. Everyone... All of our artists, uh, everyone who has taken the artist tag in chat. There's interest art, which is a fantastic one, but also the artist tag over in Discord. Um, if y'all want to get pinged when I've got, you know, things coming up that might need art, and if y'all are interested, um, it's of course totally an opt-in kind of thing. Uh, just if you are, if you're curious about it, um, go ahead and check it out over in Discord. Um, y'all, let's talk about our chapters, don't you think? Don't you think it's time? Don't you think? Did you hear me just slowly sort of tilt into Chiron there? Don't you think it's time? What do you think? A little bit, a little bit shorter than last week. Of course, last week was super wicked long, so it, that would explain it. But uh, Hogwarts Hippie has to run out. Hogwarts Hippie, thank you very much. If y'all are looking to find more from Hogwarts Hippie, uh, you can accuse accuse. Good grief. What is my deal today? At least I got through the chapters okay. Um, you can follow this link right here. This is the Friends of Sidecar Stories link right now. Um, and uh, if you follow my personal link, you can find it at the in that collection of links as well. Um, these are friends of the show, and Hogwarts Hippie is one of them. Uh, she does some audio streaming as well over on Spoon, uh, and it's a lot of fun. 
it is it has tempted me to go check out Spoon as well, but I recognize I have dragged y'all all over the internet at this point uh, for the channel, and I really appreciate you sticking with me so far. Uh, I'm going to stay here for the time being, uh, at least until which point, like, Discord or Patreon start their very own uh, live streaming setup. Live streaming and video hosting, because that's an important one. So, um, y'all, thank you a bunch for being here. I hope you're all well. Um, and with all that said, let's talk a little bit about what we have learned. Um, so, of course, we've got this this these dreams here, uh, which when you hear dreams and mythology in the same sort of story, you can guess dreams plus mythology equals foreshadowing. Now, foreshadowing means that uh, we're, they're kind of signaling something that's going to be coming up later on. But what does it mean, right? It's super explicit and clear at this point, but uh, <laughs> Poto, what are you talking about? Memnite, I don't know what you're. I don't know what you're saying. Um, masquerade, yes, yes, it is. Thank you. It is masquerade. Masquerade, <laughs> art parade. There we go. That's why. Okay. Um, uh, yes, indeed. That's, that must be what it is. <laughs> don't worry. I know. Uh, yeah, fan of the opera. Yeah, I got there. I arrived there. Uh, although I will admit, I don't know if I've seen it all the way through in one sitting. I've seen all of it in parts, but I don't know if I've seen it all the way through. Um, I probably should at some point, though, huh? Emmy uh, Lou says, can't stay for beans, unfortunately. Good beans blessing. Well, I know there won't be good beans blessings. Uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. I, I know I know some of you folks who get in there. Memnite, Memnite, I saw you. I saw what you did over on, over on Instagram, which is to say uh, you have been promoting the show, which means you get to choose a bean, so I know what's coming. I know what's coming my eye on you. Holly's got to run as well. Uh, Y'all have a great night. Yeah, anyone who has just been joining us for the for the reading portion, uh, it has been fantastic. I love y'all for being here. Thank you so much for watching. If you want to tell folks about the show, that link tree link is the perfect one to share around. And if y'all bring folks, remember there are two ways to add on to our bad beans tradition at the end of chat, uh, at the end of the, the stream here. One, bring a friend and uh, make sure that they tell me that you brought them here. Uh, or two, promote the show. Some like, you know, let people know about the show over on Instagram or Twitter. Those are the two that I keep my eye on. I try to stay away from Facebook as much as possible as we all should. Um, and, uh, so I keep an eye on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and I have seen y'all have been putting some stuff in and I thank you very much for it. We're going to go to that in just a bit here. Um, but I definitely want to, uh, want to address the, you know, the, the things that we've learned here, this foreshadowing toward something, something mysterious and frankly something dark right um and just as a recap because i know that voice was a little bit tough to understand typically i i i had vetted that voice and i don't know frankly why it sounded so different from the first time that i ran it but you know i might have to re-record a bit of that um but the 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 voice in this chasm says the little hero here i'll, I'll put my own voice on it the little hero too weak, too young, but perhaps you will do. They have misled you, boy. Barter with me. I will give you what you want. And I think that's most of it. Oh, nope, one last one. Help me rise, boy. Bring me the bolt. 
strike a blow against the treacherous gods. There it is. Um, Luke says, honestly, I like that. I like your voice five times as much. Inspector Gadget bad guy. Is it? Is it? I might have to go rewatch that one too. Art parade. That doesn't work quite as well. <laughs> um, it's actually, believe it or not, that voice is substantially easier to do than uh, like Sirius Black, for instance. This one is, uh, this one's probably one of the worst voices for me. In terms of uh, stamina, shall we say, gets real, real rocky real quick. Jem says, "What if Chiron is lying?" There are all sorts of questions, right? There, this is this is the big central question, right? Can can Percy trust the people around him, right? And I think this is one of our themes starting to emerge. Everyone, how exciting is it? Oh, it's 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 crowning. <laughs> Did you hear me hesitate a couple of times trying to decide if that was an appropriate joke to, to say on this particular stream? No, the the, the theme, it's coming. I can see its head. Um, <laughs> uh, the <laughs> I'm sorry. That was really dumb. Um, this theme of understanding the world around you and trying to trying to trust the world around you, right? And the, and the people that are that are you're interacting with. This is this is one of the things that I think is going to become really important. It is showing itself as being pretty important already and it's this question of Percy is trying to understand the world and within that who can he trust? <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad y'all liked it. This whole trip uh is based on trusting Chiron. Yeah, so so Chiron is one, right? Uh there there is someone who has explicitly uh stated that uh, like the, the, the Oracle has explicitly stated somebody that calls you a friend is going to betray you. Who's that going to be? Who can I trust there? Who, who, or who should I not trust, rather? Uh, and then, of course, this voice says, they have misled you. Barter with me. I'll give you what you want. Um, and so, you know, this, this, this sort of like it's kind of the equivalent of like trying to, as a very young person, look at the adults around you and, and start to realize they are fallible. They are human. It's a very tough place for Percy to be. And certain people say that other people are lying or that they can't be trusted or that they should be trusted. Um, at this point, you know, he knows who he has trusted to to treat him well in a very brief case, in a brief case, uh, in a very brief instance. Right. He, he was treated well by Chiron for a while. He was treated well by basically most people except for kind of Mr. D and Clarice, just generally. Right. The, the camp was pretty good. Nothing big and notable there. So he can trust him at least that far. But now he's hearing all sorts of things about, about all the lies and all of the, 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 the insane uh, conflicts between the gods. That's tough. That is tough. And so keep an eye on that. You know, it's, it's a pretty like strange explanation of a theme so far. Um, it's, we haven't really got it tacked down. I think we're going to need to keep, we're going to need to keep taking a look at it. And uh, over time, we'll refine our understanding of it. But keep an eye on that, that idea of, of understanding the world around you and where trust comes in in that process. Trusting other people's accounts of the world and other people's descriptions of the world. Understanding and trust. There we go. That's, that's about as boiled down as I can get it right now. Um, Baby Tierney says, it's Gabriella Glover on Discord. Well, I, see, I did see Gabriella Glover pop in over on Discord. Um, <laughs> Gabriella Glover, can you confirm? 
can you confirm that uh, that baby tyranny did indeed bring you? Um, Stationary Fork says, I think that's something that we deal with in adolescence. When people grow, they see someone as a perfect person. Then we grow to see someone as a human and see that they are not perfect. Yeah, that's a big part of the transition, right? As at this very same time that, as I've mentioned before, people are starting to expect folks at this age to have their own values as opposed to just absorbing those around them. They're, you know, people will expect that of people at this age um, or around this age. And at the same time, you're looking around saying like, okay, some of these people who I have gained values from, maybe they're not perfect. Maybe they don't, they don't even execute those values perfectly, right? They might not even live by those in a perfect way. It's a tough part of growing up, but that is, I think, one of the things that the young adult genre has brought to the world is literature that's specifically designed to help people understand or at least um uh, at the very least you know feel like they're not alone in this experience um so i'm 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 happy for what the young adult genre has brought to the world y'all you've been beautiful i'll see you next week bye-bye